want you to say the name with me of the one, the only one, with all authority. What is his name? Jesus. Now, wherever you may be in this room, or you're a part of our streaming family, wherever you may be around this world, by yourself, in a pickup truck somewhere, out by a park, in your home, I want to encourage you to say with us out loud, out loud, his name one more time. Would you say with me, Jesus? Let's say it again. Jesus. 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 There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. He's the one who said all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. On the basis of that authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Just one more brief reminder word before we get into the scripture this morning, and it's this, if you will honor him, he will honor you. If you will honor him, he will honor you. Whatever the area of your life is, where you most need the Lord to honor you, you most desire for him to bless you. Be very specific and very particular and very intentional about honoring him, honoring him first in that area. That can be financially, and I, I don't get me started on that. Seen it, seen it, seen it over the years, so many different ways where folks will just, as a way of doing life, it's just an automatic to honor the Lord financially, materially. He honors you when you do that. But professionally, in your business life, academically, with your family, various aspects of family life. It doesn't mean that everybody automatically is just going to be applauding you for this fresh direction and this intensity in your life. But heaven notices. Heaven notices. And I believe it is the heart of the Lord for his children to know. If you will honor me, I will honor you in time and in ways that you could not have done yourself. Family of God, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, would you let that in? That 18-inch drop out of the years and into our heart. Lord, I, 
And I don't believe it's a matter of pride when we would say, Lord, I'm seeking, I'm trying to do my best to honor you in this place, in this area, and in this way. And because I'm trying to honor you, I, I believe that you're going to honor me. You're going to honor this endeavor. There's no age limit to that. There's no marital limit or status to that. That's just one of the ways of God. He loves to bless his children, and it makes it easier for him to bless his children when we're trying to live our lives in a way that honor him. Amen. Okay, that was, that was for free, um, but I just, I just feel like that needs to be encouraged in our hearts uh, this morning. All right, let's turn a page and come back to that same theme that we spent some time on last week and under the banner of hope has a name. Hope has a name and the name is, the name is Jesus. Under that category, under that heading, how to pray, how to pray for those who can't believe how to pray for those who can't believe. Now, I want to spend a, just a few minutes defending the last part of that statement, those who can't believe. I, I want to, and I hope this will be an encouragement, especially to the fixers in this room who feel like God has put you in somebody else's life to fix them. <laughs> Don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to one of those or you know of another one in the room. What if, what if it really is true that some folks don't believe because they can't believe? I want you to find, um, if you would, the book of 1 Corinthians first. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and, and let me read these words from the Apostle Paul. Under the banner, how to pray for those who can't, can't, are not able to, have no power to believe. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, physical weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling, now look at verse 4, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but your faith should rest on the power of God. Paul said in these words, 
I made a very specific decision when I came to you. I didn't want to blow you away with my pulpit expressions, with my sermonizing, with my words of wisdom. Because if I had left you with that, your faith would have been resting in a preacher. I determined that that, is not the, that was not to be the focus. My focus would be upon Jesus Christ and his death for us. And my message would be in demonstration of the Spirit and power. It's as if he sets in opposition one to the other. The power of a pulpiteer, the power of a preacher, and the power of the Spirit. As if to say those two are not necessarily always the same. The test is, where are you left when you get through hearing those two kinds of preachings? Is your faith resting in the presence of the preacher, in the power of the preacher, or are you just left with the sense that God can do anything? On the one hand is what can the preacher say and what can the preacher produce, on the other hand, you're left with the unlimited, awesome realization that there is nothing too great. There is nothing too big, nothing too complicated, nothing too far for God. I wanted your faith to rest in God and not me. Can I say that? I wanted your faith to rest in God and not a person. I came to you in that way, he says. Skip over a few more verses, and you find at the, in verse 14, after he has said that there will be some people who will hear this message, who will respond to this message and demonstration of the Spirit and power, and then there will be some who, who won't, who won't be able to hear it, who won't hear it, won't be able to hear it, and he speaks a little bit about the one who won't be able to hear the things of the Spirit, the things of God. He says, but a natural man, verse 14, but a natural, natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And then this line, this is very important, and he cannot understand it. It's not that he doesn't want to necessarily. It's that he or she cannot. It comes from the word dunamis or power. He has no power to understand it because they are spiritually appraised. They are spiritually understood. He says, and the natural man is, is a, to use that term, natural man would put the man or the woman, the human, in the category of, of, of the, the, the animal side of creation. That even though your pet, your dog, your cat, your horse may not necessarily have a spirit that would be eternal, 
They've got a personality. You, you know that. You, some things they like, some things they don't like, some things that make them happy, some things that make them mad. They can, they can, they can love you and lick your face or they can bite your hand off. You know, that, that animalistic tendency. This is what he's saying, that, that the same kind of thing works within people. That there was a soul. There is an invisible part of the person, the soul being the mind, the emotions, and the will. But that is not to say that that same person or that person who has a soul, who, has, who, ha, who, is, who is similar to other animal creations, at least in that sense, that that same person is alive in his or her spirit. The, the, the spirit part of us is that which when Jesus centers our lives, he'll say in a minute in Ephesians 2, that's the part that comes alive that was dead before. There was no life to it. And that's what he, what he means here is that, is that this, the person without the spirit of God inside him does not have the ability, is, is, not, is not able, doesn't have the power to understand the things that only are understood by means of the Spirit of God inside the person. So that means that we can talk our head off. We can, we can reason from daylight till dark with someone. It's like me talking to this piece of wood right here and saying, you know, you really ought to be responsive to all the Bible that you've heard read during all these years. All the praise songs that you've heard sung, there ought to be more life coming out of you, piece of wood, than what, has, what, what, what I see from you. But that piece of wood is not going to grow lips. That piece of wood is not going to have vocal cords or hands to be able to praise because it's dead. The wood is dead. The wood is dead and cannot, and I'm stupid if I'm sitting here trying to expect something that is dead to show signs of life, Right? Now, I'm not, this isn't intended to be insulting. This is just intended to state the spiritual reality. Folks without Christ who have never received Jesus as Savior and Lord, like all of us in this room, every one of us at some point or another have been, are spiritually dead. So I can speak words, I can give exhortation, I can give instruction but I can't expect this piece of wood to do one thing in accordance with what I have just tried to instruct because the piece of wood is dead. All right, that's just a given. How to pray for folks who can't believe. Now, if we let this in, it takes a lot of pressure off of us as a witness, as someone who wants to see them Come to know the Lord. You don't have the ability to impart life. I, I can speak words of encouragement. I can plant the seed of the gospel, which is very important. But I don't, and you don't, Mama. You don't, Grandpa. You don't, best friend. You don't have the ability or the power to impart life. That is something that only the Lord by his spirit can do. Now, let me show you something very interesting. When Paul says here that your faith 
should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I want to pick out one word, and it's a big word to the Christian. Big word in the New Testament is this word faith. Faith. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Faith, the Greek word is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. That comes from a verb, pytho, P-E-I-T-H-O. Pytho, the verb, get this, means to persuade, to convince. The word faith at its core, at the heart of it, is this. I have been persuaded of something. I have been convinced of something. Therefore, what is reality in me, now that I have been persuaded of it, now that I have been convinced of it, what that is called is called faith. Faith requires that you have been convinced of something. Faith requires that you have been persuaded of something. Paul is saying, I didn't want my words to persuade you of nothing. Excuse my grammar. I wanted the power of God demonstrated before you to persuade you of the reality of God. To say, to mean that I have faith in Jesus, I have put my faith in Christ, it means that somehow, some way, supernaturally, in a way that was beyond my understanding or beyond the ability of people to convince me, I have come to be convinced by God that who Jesus has claimed to be is who he is. That when he died on the cross, I have been persuaded that he died for me. I didn't just hear about it. I didn't just get along with the crowd. I've been persuaded that he hung on the cross for me. That he was raised from the dead because he accomplished what was necessary for my forgiveness. I have been persuaded that his love has met all my needs and cleansed all my sins. I have been persuaded. I have been persuaded. See how hollow it is for us to just throw out the word faith? Well, you just need to believe. You just need to believe. You're not going to believe unless you're persuaded. And it's the heart of God to persuade. It is the heart of the Lord to convince. And we're going to take this straight back into how to pray for those who can't believe in a minute. Hold on to that thought. That it is the heart of God to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary, to convince, to persuade the ones we pray for, the ones he has a heart for. What is said of Jesus is true. What is written of him and what is promised for us as believers is true. He is the persuader. You are not. The weight to convince, the weight to persuade, was never intended to be upon the human side. It has always, and that's exactly what Paul was saying. I came in demonstration of the Spirit and in demonstration of His power because He is the only one 
who can convince you and persuade you of that which is necessary for faith to rise up in your heart in order for that faith to save you. Faith saves us, but the faith is the product of us being convinced of what it is we say that we believe. Is that, am I flying too high here? Are you all getting that? I'm going to leave 1 Corinthians 2 and, and go, to, go to, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. He's writing to the church, but here's what he says. Previous condition of the church. And you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. The result of sin, the result of making choices away from God is, is that is that that spirit part of us dies. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. That ties into what he was saying in 1 Corinthians 2. There's no ability to, 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 to ascertain, to understand the spiritual things because there is death instead of life in that place that would require understanding. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world According to the prince of the power of the air, following the devil, but not knowing necessarily you were following the devil, just, just being swept along with the culture, being swept along with the flow of people, indulging the desires of the flesh, indulging the desires of the mind, and were by nature, as a result of that children of wrath, deserving of judgment, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our forever home in the heavenly places in, with Christ. And look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, that no one should boast. But look at that part, it is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Let, let the text answer the question. What, what precedes that that clause, it is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is not of ourselves? It is the gift of God. What is not of ourselves? Is it grace is not of ourselves, but faith is of ourselves? The ability to believe is from us? Or is it somehow that it has to be? And it's why it's left wide open in the translation. It is the gift of God. It is a combination of the two. The grace of God, his mercy, his kindness, giving us mercy that we didn't deserve. But faith is the gift of God too. The ability to believe God is a gift from God. Otherwise, how could it be said that you were dead spiritually? How could it be said that it's impossible for someone not alive in the spirit 
to understand the things of the Spirit if it were not true that before Jesus Christ in a life, there was a dimension of that person's life that is dead. We can talk to that portion of that person's life. We can speak into it, encourage it, get it try to get it around other ones that are alive in that area and expecting that somehow there would be some response. And it's just flatline. Poke them all day long with scripture. Poke them all day long with songs. It's a flatline. But God, in his great love for all of us who at one time or another were flatline, we didn't have to start doing something in order for him to start loving us. He loved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, not capable of giving him an amen, a hallelujah, flipping him a quarter, nothing. We were flatline dead. But he loved us. He loved us. He loved us anyway. And what happened over time, the reason we're sitting here in this room and many of you are listening this morning, wherever you are, the reason we're in here this morning clothed and in our right mind is because God, even when we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, caused there to be a stirring of his spirit, a quickening of his spirit, as the old English would say, such that we, over time, and sometimes some faster in lives and, and some slower in other lives, but we have come to become, come to be persuaded. Persuaded that Jesus is the Christ. That there is no other name besides Jesus whereby we get our sins forgiven. That his is the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those are just words on a page until the Spirit of God persuades you that they are true. So how does he persuade us? How does he persuade? The good news is we are all creations of God. That means we've been wired by him. We, we've, been, we've been fashioned in a sense in his image, whether we're dead or alive in a sense, before we come to know Christ, there's still an image, a veiled image of God in us. And his heart is to bring that to full life. How does he persuade us? How does he convince us that the gospel is true? The good news there is he knows People have to be persuaded in order to believe. It's not just the standard condemnation that, well, everybody's in trouble because they, they don't have the ability to believe. That in, that in part absolutely is true. We're in trouble because we don't believe. But the rest of that is the Lord's heart is to give you enough evidence to cause you to be convinced that Jesus is real that Jesus did die on the cross, that Jesus can make all of his promises true in your life. He has the ability and he has the heart to persuade, to convince. And he knows that one size doesn't fit all. Can I get a witness? You know? Uniquely, unique, personal, carefully crafted, meticulously thought out 
is his ability to persuade. Now, when you leave Ephesians, go, go, go back to the left and let's go back to Acts chapter 2, that passage that we looked at last Sunday. Peter and John had been released from the Sanhedrin. They, they had been threatened and told to speak no more in the name of Jesus. They were released because the man who had been healed was 40 years old and was standing right next to them. There was nothing that the tribunal was able, would be able to say because that man who, who had been known as, as just sort of the poster child of, 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 of the beggars in Jerusalem, in particular those situated at the gate going into the temple, that man, known by many, known far and wide, ever since his mother's womb, he couldn't walk. And now he's standing there. His legs are supporting him. He, he's, he's able to, to gladly and boldly stand as a witness to the truth of what Peter and John had been speaking about regarding Jesus Christ and the power that is in Jesus. They were released. They went back to their friends, the apostles, and they entered into a time of prayer. Verse 29, we pick up the conclusion of the prayer. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they gathered, had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now, from that passage, let me give you three specific ways to pray for ones you care about who can't believe, can't believe. Again, I'm using the word can't instead of the word won't. The won't implies the ability that they would have some innate ability to do it, but they just don't want to. What if the other part is true? They don't believe because they don't have the ability to believe. It's not a will issue. It's an understanding issue. They just don't see it. It doesn't make sense. Point number one, how to pray for those who can't believe. Number one, accept your role. Accept your role in the process, which is this. Look at the name, look at the word, bondservant. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. We touched on this last week. The word bondservant means a person whose will has been lost in the will of another by his or her choice. The bondservant in the old days was that an indentured servant could finish the time of the required indentured servitude. But at the end of that time, that servant could request to be made a permanent party to the family. No longer required, 
finished everything that he or she was supposed to do for that period of time, but not wanting to leave the family, not wanting to, not wanting to have to be somewhere else and start all over, the term was bond servant. And the symbol was one of the earlobes would be pierced through with some sort of a large auger such that whenever that person was seen in the culture, that person was known as a bond servant. By choice, their will had been lost in the will of their master. Isn't that an amazing term? And a wonderful term, absolutely a term of endearment of the heart of the disciple, the heart of the follower for the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't want to be anywhere else but with you. I don't want to do anything other than what you want me to do. Your reputation is my reputation. Send me, Lord, and I go. Call me to stay, Lord, and I stay. capture this, the heart of this prayer is to accept our role as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your role. That's my role. The second part is this. Ask for confidence. Ask for confidence. You say, what are you talking about? I say, here's exactly what I'm talking about. Walking with the Lord, living for the Lord, serving him as these two, in particular Peter and John, had been doing, can take a toll on you. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But Jesus also said, in this world, you're going to find tribulation. That under realizing and recognizing that the human part of us has the capacity to be depleted, has the capacity to be discouraged has the capacity for us to lose our confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence in the Lord. Confidence in his plan. Confidence in the results of what we'd be doing in his name. It's a wonderful thing. I mentioned this some last week. It's just an awesome thing that the disciples here were not afraid to pray that way. Lord, our confidence meter is just, it's just leaning over toward that last quarter. We, we, need, we need you to restore our confidence, which is another word for boldness which is another word for freedom, which is another word for clarity of expression as well as clarity of heart and thought. Lord, grant us, give me the confidence that I need in you and in what you have said in order for me to continue the worthy title of a bond servant. That goes back to this simple prayer, the three-word prayer we've been on and on and on and on the simple prayer that changes everything and keeps everything different as time goes on. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Here's our mistake. We sometimes have this idea, and this has been, you know, my background is Baptist, and, 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 and I'm greatly appreciative for so much of what I was taught. But we would come to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it would be, go ye therefore, you know, into all the world. That would be Matthew 28, but then Acts 1, 8 would be, so you're going to be going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the most part of the earth. It was all about what's the plan, what's the plan, what's the plan, what's the plan? Well, the plan is out yonder. The problem was Jesus said, don't you leave this place. Don't you leave Jerusalem until there's power that you don't have working inside you. 
you'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth, and you'll peter out. You'll quit. There won't be effect to your preaching and to your ministry. It's all generated by the life and power of my spirit working inside you. Once he fills you, once he animates you, once he grants you authority from heaven, then you go. And the gates of hell will give way as you ascend to the glory of, of my kingdom. Now that, so they didn't forget that, folks. Listen, they didn't forget that. They weren't sitting around strategizing how they can take on another, another neighborhood in Jerusalem. Or when would they be able to get to the uttermost part of the earth? Here's what they said. Give us our confidence back, Lord. What is that related to? The fresh filling of the spirit of the living Jesus inside them. That is more important than knowing what's next. Is knowing that he's filling me. And when I grow empty, when I grow tired, when I grow confused, when I'm not sure what to do next, I go to him instead of staring at my belly button and trying to figure out how I can generate it here. It won't ever come from here or an accumulation of a whole bunch of us staring at our belly button. It'll come from him. I just want to say it and say it and say it and say it again. That second prayer that can change everything, cause you to move on in freedom, cause there to be joy, cause you to quit carrying stuff you were never intended to carry, cause you to know where to go when you get tired, who to look to when you've had enough and you don't have any more to give, Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. That's exactly what they're doing. Before they ask for any more, any signs and wonders out there, they're asking for a fresh filling in here. Oh, my goodness, folks. Let that in. Let that drop 18 inches out of the head and into the heart. He's not expecting you to buoy your own emotions on your own. He's not expecting you to generate courage and generate boldness and generate the ability to speak or the ability to convict. That's his business. That's his duty. All he's wanting from us is a broken, empty, honest realization that, Lord, apart from you, there is nothing I can do. So I'm coming to you for the breath I breathe. I'm coming to you for the joy in my heart. I'm coming to you for the ability to love you back. I'm coming to you for the ability to believe you. I'm coming to you for every cut and picking thing that I'm going to need that I don't have on my own. Now, folks, when we get that, when we get that, that's the life of the Christian as it is intended to be, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that I may know him in all the dimensions, all the categories of my life, regardless of what it may be, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. His ability to bring dead things to life. I need to live there. I need to know that because this world is going to pride degrees, try to kill me and kill you in our joy. That's my breath. All right. Accept your role. Ask for confidence. And the number three, ask 
the Lord. We're talking about praying for those who can't believe, who can't believe. Ask the Lord to persuade them. Ask the Lord to persuade them. Can I say that one more time? Ask the Lord to persuade them, to convince them, to make real to them, to blow it up where they can see it, to enable them to get it, whatever whatever phrase you want to use, and it's taken straight from the text. We're not making this up. Look, look, Look at how this reads. Verse 29, let our Lord take note of their threats, grant thy bond servants, may speak thy word with all confidence. That's us. Verse 30, while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. Persuade them, Lord. Convince them, Lord. The signs and the wonders were specifically for the purpose of convincing the ones who saw them that this Jesus of Nazareth was more than just your grade A rabbi in rural parts of Israel. When the blind eyes opened, when the deaf ears were unstopped, when the lame were walking, and when Lazarus walked out of the grave, It was proof positive for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear that Jesus was no ordinary man. Jesus was no ordinary prophet. Jesus Christ was God walking in a human body. Jesus Christ was the one the Jewish race had been waiting for for centuries. He is here and proof positive that he is the one we've been looking for are the signs and the wonders that he is doing in our sea. Okay. But we gotta, we gotta, we gotta break out of our mold. And this is gonna be a real hard thing for some folks, some of us in this room. I, you know, my, my background was basically you take these parts of the book of Acts and you treat them like dinosaurs. You know, they happened, we see the footprints, we found a fossil or two here and there, but that was then, this is now, and so we stick the T-Rex and Axe, we stick it on a museum shelf at the Smithsonian. But as far as it having any relevance to us today, we just bypass it because somehow our theology does not allow for God to still do these kind of things anymore. The problem apart with that is that we limit the definition. We limit the expression, let me put it that way. We limit the expression of signs and wonders done in the name of Jesus just to medical miracles, just to physical expressions of broken limbs or eyes that don't work and so forth as expressive. The bottom line after all these centuries have passed, as we mentioned last week, we've got lots and lots and lots of medicines to take care of infections. We have surgical procedures to take care of maladies within the body and on and on and on. But what about the things that medicine hasn't been able to fix? 
What about the things that science hasn't been able to solve? What about the things that psychologists and, 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 and drugs haven't been able to settle out? What about the things that money and materialism and stuff and friends of people and position haven't been able to solve in the heart of a soul? A sign and a wonder. Those words mean this. A sign means that it is a miracle, something supernatural that points to him. It, it, it's not a standalone, isolated, isolated event, and then you can go on from there. There's something about this, that the person who experiences this sign realizes that this came from another world. There's nothing on this planet. It wasn't luck. It wasn't having these connections. They may not even know his name, as many of those whom Jesus healed did not know who he was. They hadn't repented of anything. They hadn't believed in him. They hadn't believed in anything. But so great was his love. So rich was his desire to show the love of God to people that he moved right into the places of their greatest need, their greatest lack, their greatest shortage, that they just wanted their life back if they could have that one thing done. And he gave it to them. It doesn't have to just be medical miracle. For the one you're thinking of right now, what would it be? What area of that life, that one's life, if something happened right there, if something in that specific area of great need, of, and, and, and they've almost given up or may have given up, but God did something right there. God did an intervention. A sign is something supernatural that the person is left wondering, thinking, where did this come from? If they don't know, they haven't understood, as there was the case in, in the Gospels, that it was Jesus who did it. But the wonder, that other name, it's not meant categories of miracles. It's just another characteristic of the same miracle. One aspect of it is it's, it attests to the reality of the power of God and the focus of the love of God upon the person. But the wonder means something, something so startling, something so imposing, something out of the blue that is so amazing, so stunning, something so humanly impossible that expresses to that one the love of God and does it in a way that only God could do. It can't be attributed to somebody else. It can only be attributed to the Lord. I tell you, I believe the reason that Paul was so convinced of this is because how, how did he meet Jesus? How did the change happen for him? He was on his way to wreak havoc in Damascus and to snatch up and divide families and carry them off to prison because they were followers of the way. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, out of the noonday sun, the last thought on his mind, a blazing light appears from heaven. 
a voice comes out of that, out of that light, and it was his encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Who are you, Lord? He didn't even know who he was talking to. Jesus introduced it himself. I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. And as a result of that, his eyes were open. Now he could believe, whereas 30 seconds before, he didn't have the power to believe. But because he had been convinced in that moment of the reality of another world and the reality of another Lord in that other world, his eyes were opened and he was changed forever. So he writes to the Corinthians, I don't want you, I don't want you bragging on me. I don't want you trotting around talking about what Paul said. I want your faith to rest in the power of God because I've come to you seeking to de demonstrate who he is in his spirit and in his power. Accept your role. Ask for boldness. Ask the Lord to persuade them. Whatever it is, Lord, that you know my son needs, Whatever it is, Lord, pick your own, uh, that, that, that you know my, my loved one, the one at work, the, 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 the runaway, or the, 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 the one that, that is just so hard. Whatever it is you know they need, I'm asking you to sign and wonder them, Lord. Now, that's not a biblical compound verb, but it fits. Let me see. A sign and a wonder, a sign and a wonder, a sign. It, it, it doesn't mean that we don't speak, but we speak when we're supposed to speak. But if you carry the load that you're supposed to change them, you're supposed to convict them, you're supposed to persuade them, then you'll never shut up, maybe. And you'll do more damage than good. That they'll run when they see you coming. Because your faith is misfounded. It's misdirected. The Lord never gave that priority, that ability to us to convince. The Spirit is the one who convicts of sin and righteousness. But he gives us this way to pray, to be in agreement with him. Lord, for the ones who haven't been persuaded, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to persuade them. A sign and a wonder, instead of that being some, something that happens every once in a blue moon way off, I'm going to tell you something. Some of you who have been praying for folks away from God or lost to come to know the Lord, you may not have used signs and wonders as you would, but you've been praying and maybe used this word, Lord, whatever it takes, I ask you to do it for I ask you for a breakthrough. I ask you to open their eyes. I ask you to tear down the stronghold and enable them to be able to see and to believe. The words may be different, but I'm telling you the, 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 the theme is this. Folks have to be convinced in order to believe. And just reading the scripture, having a Bible is not enough, and God knows that in many cases. The Spirit can come and give conviction, bring conviction without something measurable in another category, but it's still going to be a sign and wonder to that individual. All of a sudden, I read that verse, and that thing scares me to death. Hell is real, or I don't want to miss heaven. Or I want to know this joy. The Spirit can give the conviction based upon the Word. But I want to dare you. 
You got some 24-karat hard heads on your prayer list? Mean as a snake? Foreign, cold, they may be nice, but they're just, it's just like talking to sheetrock. I want to encourage you from this passage of Scripture. You got permission to pray, to ask the Lord to sign and wonder them. Whatever to them would be an indication that there is a God and that he loves me. And I don't know why he would love me because I hadn't given him the time of day. But because this has happened, because this event has opened up, because this blessing has come or whatever it is, he or she is beginning to be persuaded. Hang on to that definition for faith. It means to be persuaded. It means to be convinced. It's passive. It means something out there has got to persuade me. Something out there has got to convince me. I don't have the ability to convince myself. I need help being persuaded. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without having those areas where we've been persuaded are true about God, it's impossible to please Him. That's a, that's a truth for the Christian. As we go on, the Lord continues to convince us that certain things about him, certain things with regard to us are true. He is the one who persuades. And, and, and when we, when we have, have lost that sense of confidence, which can be tied right back to a loss of a sense of being persuaded, the strength of the persuasion has begun to wane a minute, then we have the right, as was indicated here and illustrated here, Grant your bondservants fresh confidence. Freshly, Lord, persuade me all over again. Live in a hard world. We live in tough places. We got to know this. We got to understand Jesus filled me. Jesus filled me is a prayer that is typical of the breath we breathe. The days of our lives, Jesus filled me. What does that mean? Lord, I want, I want my confidence in you to stay restored, to stay refreshed. And then for these, for these that I care about, that I, I, I don't have the ability to change them, I have, they, don't, they don't even, they see me coming and leave, or, or we can talk about everything else except this. I love them, Lord, and I know you love them. And I'm asking you to extend your hand to heal them, to mend, to set free. And then, Lord, I'm asking you, Extend your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders will take place in the name of his servant Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And then he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And repeats it. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Signs and wonders in the name of the Holy Servant Jesus. That, that's, that's the last one. Ask in the name of Jesus. For the Lord to extend his hand to heal 
and that where necessary, signs and wonders would take place in his name. Understand, they're not generalized. They're not standalone. It's all about pointing the person to Jesus, convincing the person in a way that that person will get that Jesus is real, that Jesus loves them. And the way home is the way to the cross. Way to the cross. Amen. That, amen. I, I've been waiting. I've been waiting days to bring you this message. I just didn't feel like we got enough done last week. But I, you, I feel like it'll help. It'll shift. It takes the pressure off. Of you haven't worried about you got to change your kids. Or you got to, you know, you got to, got to, do all this convincing, and it's how, how it's, am I, my words right? Am I saying this right? Am I, listen, Paul said, I don't want you, you know, concentrating on my words. Because if you're concentrating on me, your, your focus, your faith isn't anchored in the Lord. But I'm praying for the Spirit and power to be poured out so that your faith would rest in the power of God. As you sit, right where you are, those of you scattered around our, our, our streaming family, enter into this with us for this moment. Those of you in this room and those everywhere you are, would you just bow your heads? And, and what, Lord, will you raise up within our hearts the ones or the one that you have intended for us to hear this today for? Lord, would you bring their faces before our eyes right now? And Lord, our prayer is in the name of Jesus, extend your hand to heal them. And in the name of Jesus, cause the signs and the wonders that they need in order to be persuaded that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you for those signs and wonders expressed in your way, expressed in your time. And we trust you, Lord, to do what pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. When you watch the news, when you read your news feeds, this vast array of personalities emerges on the screen. What if the church of Jesus Christ across this land in a divided nation in which we live we just began as one voice with one heart. When those names or those faces or those situations come up, particularly tied to individuals, and our prayer was, Lord Jesus, extend your hand to heal. Cause there to be signs and wonders that would convince that person that you are real, that you're the Savior, that there is a God beyond the realm of society and the realm of government and the realm of the United States of America. 
Lord, would you do what is necessary to convince them, to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I tell you what, I believe if we would make that a part of our watching the news and we would pray, Lord, sign and wonder them. They're acting the way they're acting because they don't know you. They don't even believe that there is a God. Sign and wonder them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I, I know that sounds crazy, but this is a crazy lot in this room this morning, I think. May it be. May it be. Would you stand with me as we, as we close our time together? I'll just bless you for being here and listening. And Remember again, this is halftime. This is not where the game is played. This is not where it's won. We're in here to get refreshments. We're in here to get a little instruction, hopefully to be freshly filled. But the field of conquest is out there. And hopefully these words this morning will be something very portable. That when the names of the ones who break your heart come up, the names of the ones in charge of situations that make life difficult, that you will understand the Lord has given you a thermonuclear weapon for good, and it is the name of Jesus. There is nothing he cannot do, and there's nothing that holds him back when he's ready to move. We just need to agree with him, Lord. Extend your hand to heal. That's our prayer. And we're asking for signs and wonders in your name to convince these we care about of who you are and your love for them. Lord, that is our prayer. That's how we ask you today, Lord, to do what is in your heart to do through us but even independent of us, Lord, let us just be in agreement with you as we pray and as we wait, as we watch. In Jesus' name, amen.